Hello, you're listening to the Beyond Words podcast with me, Michelle Adams. This is the place where we get to sit down with some of your favourite authors and industry insiders and talk all things books. These are the conversations that go beyond the words they wrote. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Beyond Words podcast. It's a real treat this week to be able to bring you a slightly different episode. This week's episode is not about um, a particular book or indeed even talking to a particular author, but instead we are in conversation with somebody who's been a real pillar of the publishing industry for a long time now. David Headley runs his own agency. He has a bookshop, a book club and is an absolute champion of quality fiction. He has a long history of championing books that he believes in. And this conversation for me was, um, it was a real joy to just talk to somebody who has such a passion and dedication to the publication of fabulous fiction. We talk about books that inspired him as a child, books he has loved as an adult, and why he has been at so many times uniquely placed um, to not only be part of the publishing world, but actually affect it and the way that it works. I hope that you all enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed recording it with David. It is insightful and I think for anyone who is a writer, um, unpublished or published, it's a real eye-opener. So we'll hand over to him now, and um, I hope you enjoy it. David, thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Worst podcast today. It's such a joy to have you here and uh, have the chance to talk to you about books that you've loved and your life in the publishing world. Um, As your website says, you are somewhat of a powerhouse in the publishing world um, and last year were voted as one of the most uh, one of the hundred most influential people in the publishing world today so thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me it's good to talk to you. And to you too. Um, what I'd like to do for anybody um, for anybody who's listening to this that doesn't know um, about your history in the publishing world can you tell us a little bit about the position that you hold within it and the kind of work that you do? Uh, So I opened a bookstore 21 years ago in central London. Um, It wasn't, it was never meant to be, um, I never had planned to open a bookstore. It's just that I loved books and I loved signed first edition. So I knew that there was a business for it. Um, And it was meant to be some small um, niche market. Um, As that grew, I think within about eight to 10 years of that growing, um, I'd met so many people in publishing. I had so many friends, I had so many contacts within the publishing world that when people were asking me if I could, they could, if I could help them um, find an agent or get a publisher, I didn't, I knew everyone. So I was, I did help an author. I gave um, a crime author's novel um, to an agent who then went and got that author a six book deal. And I thought, well, I could have done that. And, and, and it sounds terrible to just be so um, arrogant about it. But 
um, I thought, well, I could literally, I could have done that because I knew that I knew that author, I knew the editor that bought them, and there was she was really excited about buying these books. So um, the long and the short of it is that I decided to set myself up as a literary agent because I I, I think I've got a great commercial taste in what people want to read as a bookseller, um, and. I set my company up in 2008 as a literary agent. So I've been doing it for 12 years now. Okay. So it's incredible to hear how that process was so organic because so many of us are, are, are driven to do a very specific thing. And yet an agent's job, which so many people are striving towards, came to you so naturally. Yeah, I, I think it was because of the bookstore. People were coming in and, and they knew that you know, I had this taste and I was championing debut authors. So I set the book club up in 2005, uh, which, we call, which we call Premier now. And it's a, a book club. We've got 1,500 members. It's the largest science first edition book club in the world. It, people wanted uh, to... Uh, Publishers are asking me to support their debut novels, and I was very happy to do that because I love reading debuts. Um, yeah. uh, and there were so many great books, and it's not just debuts that I champion, actually, in the book club. I, I'll, I'll champion anything that I read, and I think, gosh, that's blown me away. It's a great story. So I, I'd already got a name. Everyone in publishing kind of knew me because I was so successful in championing these books. Um, and authors were coming and saying, look, I'm, I'm really struggling. I've written this book, or... Um, I was with an agent, now I'm without an agent, and I've, I've written this great novel, I'd like to find a, a new home for it. Do you know anyone who can you recommend anyone? And so, yes, it is organic. It was organic like that. And um, I did take on a crime author, and he delivered two books to me. He delivered one set now, um, or set in the current period, and there was one set, a historical, about 40 years, uh, 1960s set. Anyway, um, within a week of having those manuscripts, I sold both of them to two different publishers. So I thought, well, I know what I'm doing. That's incredible. Uh, but I, you know, I didn't feel like a proper agent. I just felt like I was doing something to help people. And, and you know, it, it took me a while to feel like I was a, a, a proper agent. And, then, and even now I still think, you know, <laughs> I don't have a um, imposter syndrome. I don't, but, I, but there are times when I think, gosh, I'm really lucky to be doing what I'm doing. It's uh, it's a real privilege to to work with writers who write brilliant stories, and then for me to see that journey through that manuscript from being emailed to me to to see it on a bookcase yeah. in my bookstore. Never mind anywhere else. So it, it's incredible to hear you speaking that way because that I think is reflected in how so many writers feel as well. That um, sort of you know, was I a real writer? Was was it imposter syndrome, that kind of thing? So yeah, to hear to hear the people who are actually helping them build their careers saying the same thing, it, it's um it's truly uh, incredible. I, I don't know whether anyone ever gets over that. You know, every author I would say still thinks that they're they're they have to do better the next time. And I think that is a good thing because we always want better we want to all of us want to have better skills. So I think that we always feel a little bit inadequate. And I think that's a good thing because it makes us keep striving. That's basically what I was going to say. And the publishing world is so fluid and dynamic and what people are looking for changes all the time. So 
having people who are in the industry constantly looking to improve and not just looking to do the same thing over and over again, I think is what keeps it so fresh. Absolutely. And you mentioned there about that you love championing debut authors and nurturing their careers, but also that it's not just exclusively debut books that you're looking for. So what is it about those those special books that stand out to you that, that make them shine? I think it's always voice, I guess. When I, when I, pick, when I get a submission from someone, it, if the voice is really strong and I'm pulled in immediately, then I know I've got someone with skill. Um, it's whether they can keep me and hold me all the way through. And, you know, recently I took on, a, I've taken on quite a few clients recently, which, because I never, it, this is what happens. So, so there are some months you go and you don't find anything at all. And you're reading through your submission list and you can read really good books, but they're just not stand out enough. Or you yeah. think, I think, well, me, I think I've got clients that are writing in the same vein, so I can't, possibly take oxygen away from that from that client because i'm already representing yeah. them and yeah. there are you know most of my submissions are really difficult because they are they're not they're not bad books they just they're not for me they don't stand out they don't make me they don't make me excited they don't make me think oh my god i have to represent this book yeah. a lot of my submissions don't do that now and again, you'll get one where the voice is just amazing and the storyline, because I don't ever read the synopsis until I've read the writing. Um, and I think that's fair, really, because I, it's not really about the story. It's about whether the, the, the writer's skilled enough to capture me and keep me. Keep me. Um, and there are times where I just read a book and I think, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I'll race through it and then I'll call the author or I'll email them and say, look, could you please send me the whole manuscript because I desperately want to read it. Um, and if I feel that excited, it, usually I'll read it within a day or overnight and then I'll call the author or email the author if I want to offer, offer them representation. I'll at least I want to talk to them, find out what their ambitions are, whether we would be a good fit. Um, and I, recently I've taken like three or four authors in the last month, which is unusual for me because honestly, I get four, 400 submissions a month and majority yeah. of them I reject. So um, in fact, I reject most every month. So it's very unusual for me to take them, but all of them are unique in a different way and they were, they gripped me and yeah. So um, I, and I've, I took on an author, I think I read the, the manuscript one Friday and I'd sold the book by the following Friday. And I think that's, that makes me very excited. So that's an incredible turnaround. Yeah. I knew that I had a very, I knew I had a gem. I went out with it on submission. It didn't need any major work. It did need some editing, but it was certainly not for me to do. Um, I went out with it, I think on the Tuesday, the following Tuesday, having met the author over the weekend and had a long chat about what they wanted to do. And I had a preemptive offer to take it off the table by the following Friday. So that is just wonderful. And, you know, it does happen. It doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes you go out with a book and it takes a month for it to sell. But, you know, it's really exciting when you know that you've, you've sent that book to the right person because that editor, see, well, which I knew that I thought that they would like that book. So it's nice to have that confirmation because she literally snapped my hand off to take it. Yeah. So, um, and, and I suppose that does reflect back into what you were telling me about in the beginning, that the way that you ended up being an agent, it became this natural process based on the work that you'd done in the bookshop. So what was it that you think that 
that enabled you to create such a good relationship with the publishing houses and perhaps even other agents as your work as a bookseller? I think it's about taste. Uh, uh, people have said I'm a taste maker. And I think I, I, I know what I really like to read. Um, I know I, I have a... I would say I'm a common reader in the sense that I think I like what the majority of people like to read. I'm not uber literary. I don't, I enjoy reading literary novels, but I would say that I'm a much more commercial um, agent. I'm a much more commercial uh, bookseller. I like great story. It's, it's, it, the story has to be the, the, the main key here. Beautiful writing can be one thing, but if, if you, you don't write a story that keeps me from the first page to the last page, then, then I'm unlikely to champion it. But, I, but all of my peers within publishing, my friends, I, some of them have become very good friends, they all have this similar taste to me. And so we have great relationships with each other. Um, they'll send me a book that they've bought. I can send them a book that I've just started to represent. Um, and it is about it is about relationships publishing everybody yeah. knows this. i mean it, it, yeah. this is why it's been so hard in the last year as a, a literary agent as a bookseller because i've hardly seen any of my friends and colleagues in publishing for the whole year it's been the most difficult and remarkable year because i've missed out on having those lunches and drinks with my colleagues where we can talk about books and they can tell me how excited they are that they've just bought this book and or I can tell them about some of the clients that I'm representing that I would think yeah. that they should read. So it's been really, you know, you can do Zoom, but it's not the same. It just no. isn't the same. It's very hard to have that sort of um, that close contact. You can't you can't have it in Zoom, and it's difficult to lead a conversation with any more than two people. Because I mean, even ourselves now, we've interrupted each other, and and that's just the nature of the technology. And it's so hard to just see where things are moving forward with different books and different ideas and how people are feeling about fiction. And especially, I suppose, as an agent, you really want to know what pe what direction people are going in because that will guide the work that you do. Absolutely. I, and I want to know what people are buying because it will affect the way that I look at things as a, an agent when yes. on submission. Because I might think, well, this book is really good, but actually I don't think it's right for the market right now. Yeah. And I have to make that commercial decision. I have to. And, and because the bookshops haven't been open, I haven't. And I do think that working in a bookstore is really important for anyone who wants to work in publishing. I think anyone who doesn't understand what's going on in the bookshop probably doesn't understand what's going on in the marketplace. And people might say I'm talking nonsense, but actually I would say that all of the agents at my agency all agree that, having that awareness of what people are buying in the bookstore is really important to us. Um, and I suppose you also working in a bookstore, you in a bookstore, you have a front row seat to the way that people buy. It's not just what people are buying, but what they're looking at. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, I was going to ask you about it later, but it seems the right time to ask you now is about covers, because I think covers can really make or break the way that a book um, appears to the buying public. Um, and also to the wider publishing industry. So what do you think it is that can be successful about a cover or, on the other hand, unsuccessful about a cover? Yeah, I was thinking about that before you asked that question because I was going to mention covers. And I, again, I think it's really important. 
I always think that if you put a barrier to a reader on a book cover, you're going to stop someone picking up that book. And what I mean by a barrier is there are times when I look at a book cover and I think, no one's going to pick that book up. And I know they'll say, yeah, but in a supermarket or in a, on a, online, it's very different. I don't think it is, actually. Um, and we keep being told things in, in the publishing world like, well, you know, men don't really read. And they do make these sweeping accusations. And I think it's wrong to make them. Cause, and there are books that I yeah. think would be perfectly suitably suitable for men. But if you put a woman in a pink dress on the front with flowing golden hair and you make it look like a woman's fiction, yeah. and men are not going to read it. And, I'll, yeah. I'll, and I find it quite remarkable. I get, I get covers sent to me all of the time from publishers and they ask my opinion. And I'm very happy to give my opinion. Most people <laughs> think I'm too opinionated. But, actually, <laughs> you know, my job is to get, as a bookseller, is to get books out of the door in readers' hands. Yeah. So if I think there's a barrier to a reader, then I'll be very vocal about it. And it doesn't matter who the author is. At the end of the day, I want people to read books. It's not about my clients, although I, yeah. I am very vocal about my clients' books, covers. Um, and I do, and I, I guess it does make me commercially aware. I do see people coming to our bookstore and I do um, in all of our bookstores, actually, we, we've only got two, but the, when you walk in, I've built the same look so that when you walk in all of the books that you see are face out. Um, and I think that's important because I want people to see the, the, the face of the, the cover of the book. I love that. Um, you, it all comes down to space on the tables we have books facing up so people can see the cover i think it's important that people are able to see that and they say covers sell books and i think that they do very often though some publishers will do a cover that will just get lost in they'll just disappear in that group of books because it's not a strong enough cover and yeah. i'll say yeah but on, on kindle people don't worry about the cover well i'm all about the physical book so you know. I think that's been one of the things that, um, I mean, as both a writer and a reader, I've had a book come out in lockdown in various countries. I've managed to skip a few hard lockdowns and jump headfirst into a couple of other hard lockdowns in various places. Um, so I've had the experience of putting a book out there in the world and really the physical book not being available. Um, and this year, it's been, I think, especially difficult for readers to find books um, because you don't shop online in the same way that you shop in a bookstore. And so hearing you talk about covers and the way that you present them to the buying public, it, it, it's testament to how hard it's been to sell books this year. Yeah, well, it has, though we have been fortunate at Goldsboro just because we have an online presence and we'd built our website years before and we'd built the, our community online. Um, so we've, we found it to be fine, actually. We've not had a bad year. I'm but, pleased to hear that. Thanks. But, but, but it still is important to me that people, because we've still got lots of books that people haven't found that we think, yeah. actually, they need to see this book. They need to see the beautiful cover. Because yeah. lots of covers have finishes. You know, they might have foil or they might have an embossed something or other. Or, you know, you have to see it to feel it to believe it and you yeah. can't do that online so um you know we do lots of work now with publishers trying to add extra um 
items to the book just to make it more beautiful because I think that people enjoy that enjoy a physical book you know that's what I sell books to I, yeah. I you know as a bookseller I, I sell books I, I don't sell files um so I want the books to be as beautiful as I possibly can make them so that people enjoy reading them they are a thing of beauty as well as the story being wonderful I love the way that you send books out actually I I have a bit of a thing about signed editions and um living where I do I've been buying books online for a long time because one the English book probably is going to be a lot later in the bookshops here in Cyprus um, and also you don't have the same selection so online shopping is is important to me with getting books um, onto my shelves and um, I have a thing about signed first editions and I've got some from you and the way that you send them out is just incredible the first time I ever had a Goldsboro packet it's just, it's like you wrapped it in love. And I, you open this box and it's just perfectly preserved. I've got, gold, I've got books on my shelf that look like the day that they arrived because they've got that little plastic film on. And that kind of, that kind of care is just, it, it's exceptional because the product that you get is exactly the product that you would buy if you got it from um, the printers. Well, that's really nice to hear. And actually, we do get lots of comments from our customers. They send us photographs where the box is completely crushed. Um, yeah. Or it's been damaged. But because my team, and, and I can't take any credit for this, but my team are amazing. Certainly the people who work in Dispatch. They, they, do, wrap the, they do wrap the books beautifully and tight in bubble wrap. And the, when people are opening it, it's like opening a present because there's lots yeah. of bubble wrap and you open it, but the book is pristine. It doesn't matter what's happened to that box. But, you know, I want our customers to receive our, a beautiful edition. If you get a beautiful edition, it's all dinged and bang, bumped and all the corners are crushed. Yeah. And it just destroys the whole point of what we're trying to do. We want, we want people to buy our books, read them, and then put them on the bookcases yeah. and save them as an investment. Because I do think yeah. a lot of the books that we've sold, I mean, if you look back to when we started our Book of the Month Club in 2005, some of the first editions that we have chosen, things like Half of the Alison by Chimamanda Adichie or um, Before I Go to Sleep by S.J. Watson, um, Labyrinth by Kate Moss, Salmon Fish in the Yemen by Paul Torday. I could go on forever. Some of those books that we have chosen, you can't buy for less than a hundred pounds now, not in yeah. a, as a first edition. Yeah. And some of them are worth a lot more. Um, I think half of the Ellison, you'd need about four or five hundred pounds to buy this special edition that we produced for that book. So, um, yeah, we want our customers to receive the. Uh, book that feels mint like it's mint condition it's yeah. just a bit off the print machine and it literally has just arrived at your door um it's so good to hear it, it, it does please us when people email us and say oh i've just received a package from you for the first time it's the most amazing thing because that then makes me think i've got a customer here now and i'm going to look after yeah, this yeah. and yeah. they're going to keep returning back to us because there's nothing Absolutely. worse than buying a book that comes in a back beat up box and then the book's all damaged who wants that and, and it happens so often. That's that's what people get through the post normally. So that's why your your books stand out so much when they arrive. And some people don't care. You know, people, they just want to read the book and that is completely fine. But what I yeah. cater for is for, for book people who love collect, collecting books. So, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not criticising any other business. If that's, if people just want to read a book and they just don't care how it arrives, that's completely fine. But that's not what I'm in the business doing. I'm, I'm selling beautiful books in pristine condition. 
Well, there has to be something that's driven you into this because you obviously have such a passion for books. So, so what, which books was it that drove you into this career? So it was Danny Champion of the World by Roald Dahl that made me the voracious reader that I've become. I love that. Because I read that when I was about seven. I remember the classroom. I remember the smell of the classroom. I remember finishing that book. And I, I guess anyone listening to this now is going to think, God, he sounds so weird. That book changed my life. I, I was a reader, but I, I wasn't a, I would read books because I had to, because it was part of school. You know, we were given yeah. books to read, but it wasn't until I took from the library, Danny Champion of the World, and I read about Danny and his dad and the pheasants, and they lived in a caravan behind this, this um, garage where his dad used to mend cars. Um, and that relationship between Danny and his father was very, it's not unsimilar to my relationship with my dad. I adored my dad. My dad and I used to do things together. We used to go bird watching together. He helped me save um, a white pigeon. And it, it, like he, he was, my relationship with my dad was very, it was there in Danny Champion of the World. Um, anyway, it changed my life. And then, so I then had to read everything that Roald Dahl had ever written, which I did. And I, and I loved them, but I didn't love them as much as Danny Champion of the World. But then I discovered other readers. By the age of nine or ten, I was reading adult books. I'd go to my grandma's and I'd be reading Dick Francis and Agatha Christie and all those kind of books. And I was, I just couldn't read enough. I, I just, I had to just keep reading. Um, when I was about 12, I went to a new school. I went to a Catholic school in York called All Saints. And um, it's at the top of Micklegate Bar and down Micklegate Bar there's a bookshop called um, Ken Spellman it's still there and I used to go there on my lunch breaks and I used to buy books and then I discovered first editions and signed first editions and so I'd save up my pocket money and I started collecting books about 12 years old um, where I could afford them and I'd be buying things like Robert Ludlum and um, Jeffrey Archer and and then, you know, I, I enjoyed reading those books and so I wanted them. Um, and then I went to university and I met my best friend, Daniel, who also was a voracious reader. He collected books. Uh, we became very good friends. And then we, when we'd left, in fact, we were trained to be Catholic priests. So we were in this university in the middle of Durham's, in the middle of nowhere. Um, when we left, I decided that I was going to go and do a job. Uh, I was going to collect, continue collecting books. Right. And then Daniel said to me, well, he was made, he got a job and then he was made redundant and he didn't know what to do. And I said, well, why don't we just sell books online? Let's have a website. And this was in 96, I think. It was about 1996. We set up a website and I say website. It was one static page where you put images <laughs> of books on. And if you wanted to buy it, you had to email us. We'd send you an invoice. You sent us a check and we'd send you the book. I mean, it was that, that was e-commerce in those days. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and it's grown from there. Girls Books has grown from that. So in 1999, we, we set up a company because we were doing quite well at what we were doing. Um, I still worked for a corporate called Vodafone. You might have heard them, small little business. Um, <laughs> and then I left that in 2005, and that's when I really started to build Goldsboro. Um, so this, that was the origin of Goldsboro Books. You had a sort of 1995 website, static pictures of books. That's incredible. 
Yeah. So Daniel had been made redundant and he didn't know what to do, but we knew that we, we well, one of the things that we had done is we'd bought duplicate books because we thought, well, if we buy what buy two, we can keep one and then one we'll just sell when, when it becomes more valuable. And, but I know Daniel was buying like four or five signed copies of certain books. And there was um, a little unknown author called, um, J.K. Rowling, she'd written these children's <laughs> books and we got in early, uh, the second book certainly, and we were buying every first edition that we could find. So you and have a real eye for which ones are going to go on to do well. <laughs> you just, yeah, I think we do. Um, and, and I think we've proved ourselves in the last 21 years. When you sit, think about some of the books that we've championed and even, you know, J.K. Rowling wrote The Cuckoo's Calling. We were the only bookshop in the world to have signed copies of it. We didn't know it was her, but I loved The Cuckoo's Calling. I thought it was a very brilliant um, crime thriller. So I bought 250 signed copies and they arrived signed by Robert Felbray. Um, Fabulous. I and love so, that. Uh, you know, it, it all comes down to the story at the end of the day. Um, I, I want to ask you that. I'm going to, I'm going to butt in. So what did, what did you, what did you think when you found out that those signed editions by Robert Galbraith were actually J.K. Rowling books? Uh, well, it became, because, you know, the bookshop then became world famous because everybody wanted, we had TV crews coming to the shop to talk to us because they were like, wanted to know whether we knew, why did you buy <laughs> Um And it, it became this, you know, it's, if you Google it, you'll read all about it. There, were, there was, I mean, we got death threats too, but we, all, we also what? got some, Yeah, oh my goodness. Yeah, it was extraordinary. Um, but the bookshop became very famous. Um, and we didn't know, um, we had no concept of who it could be. Although I had an inkling, I, I thought it was somebody else actually, but because uh, it, you know, it was, it was all very kept secret very well. Um, but I just had read the book and I really loved it. It, it, what did I think? I mean, we had about a hundred copies left when the news broke and I just decided to keep selling them at 1699 within days. People were selling them for 5,000 pounds on eBay. Amazing. That's amazing. And that also is testament to how much you love sharing books with people because you could have obviously put the price up to an incredible amount, but you just let people, let people buy them who are going to love them and maybe not necessarily yeah. love them, but benefit from them. You know, and I could have made that very short-term gain, but actually I think in the long term, it's been really good for Goldsburg because it shows you that we we are, you know, moral and we are great booksellers in the sense that we want people to own books. We don't, we're not, yeah. we're not in it to make lots of money. Of course, we want to make money so we can keep growing and we can keep um, employing our booksellers. We, you know, we're very proud of our team that we have and we pay them all above the London living wage. We, we, I'm very fond of my team. They're a brilliant team of booksellers, passionate readers. Um, I, I want, I want to earn enough money to keep growing and giving my staff the money that they deserve. So. The decision is, is just a mark of the authenticity that you have. I hope so. I mean, you know, I do it because I love it. If I, if I didn't love books, I would have probably ended up, I don't know, in corporate world being dull, boring, to do, trying to make money. But actually, I do love books. I love story. I, and um, as I say, I love the journey from yeah. that manuscript, even whether it's a book that I represent. But sometimes I get manuscripts sent to me from editors and I love that book so much. I want to see it 
grow and I want pe- I want readers to read it and then I want to talk to readers about it and see yeah. they had that same visceral feeling that I yeah. have reading um and then when it wins awards I'm so excited for that author because I think god that's it just shows you that that book that I read in the manuscript form is has gone on to do great things so, so nice to hear people talking about it that way Mm. Um, now you've mentioned sort of the idea that some of the books that you bring in um, without well one without knowing that they were say J.K. Rowling's book or that they were ever going to go on to become sort of modern classics are there any books that you think have been out recently that have done well but that you think will go on in the near future longer term future to become classics that we that people are trying desperately hard to seek out first edition hardbacks um yes i i mean i think colin mccann's epiragon that was published last february it was long listed for the booker but i i was expecting to have won the booker and i don't know quite why it didn't because it is really quite amazing and i've seen it's been shortlisted for the orwell or long list long listed for the orwell prize for fiction i think that is a classic it is about a an Israeli man and a Palestinian man, and both of them have lost their daughters to conflict. Um, it's how they become friends. But it is much more than that. It is quite a remarkable novel. Um, I suspect that that book will just keep going on. I, I, I believe Spielberg has bought the film uh, right, so I'm, I'm assuming it'll be an amazing movie Yeah. Um, in the future. What else have I read? Um, Transworld just published a book called Tollbones and it went into the top 10 um, last week. It's a thriller set in America. It's really great in the same way that I think Paula Hawkins um, did well and S.J. Watson did Transworld did very well. I think Anna Bailey has got a, a very promising future. I think Tollbones will, will delight people. Um, there are other books that, you know... Um, that haven't done well, really, in in the scheme of things, haven't sold well, but I still think, my God, that book is so amazing. And I'm trying to think of some right now. <laughs> but I, mean, I always think that readers always find books. Um, I always think that books find their way to, to, um, to the reader. So I, there was a book published in February this year called The Paris Library, and it was set, it's set in the second world war and it's about the library in paris i mean for anyone who loves books would be fascinated about that um it's how these books these librarians save the the books when the nazis invade um france so it's it's really wonderful it's set it's set then but it's also set in america now um and it's how the two stories come together but it is really wonderful i haven't um, heard about that but that sounds that sounds the like kind of thing I'd love. really wonderful we did our own jacket I didn't didn't like the publisher's jacket. I thought it was too feminine. Um, and I think the point was missed really there to capture readers. And I would say that was a barrier, but you know, it was a beautiful cover, but it didn't suit me. So I asked them to give me a different cover. So you, you request certain covers just for Goldsboro? Yeah, quite often. But actually there's a book coming out in um, July <laughs> I didn't like the publisher's cover, so we asked them to come up with some other options. And now the publishers just emailed me and said, "We like that your cover so much. We're changing our trade edition. Do you mind <laughs> if we go with your cover because we we think it's a much stronger cover?" 
Um, and I like that, that because they they haven't stuck to their guns thinking that they've got it right. They've they they understand that. Yeah. I, that I've seen something as a bookseller and I think there's a barrier to market. And I think the, the strong, the cover that they're going to go with now is going to make a massive difference to sales. That's wonderful. That's really wonderful. That's not one of my authors. So um, yeah, I hope that author does incredibly well because it's a really great book. It's um, I won't mention it because I've talked, talked about that, but it is a really great book. Um, with regards to the situation that we've been going through at the moment, and how everything is digital. Is there something that you're particularly looking forward to about getting back to live events? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I love, because we do lots of parties at our bookstore. We do lots of um, launch parties. We do lots of events, you know, and I'm, I run a festival called Capital Crime, which is a crime festival in London. And we had to cancel it last year. We've had yeah. to cancel it this year, um, which is really sad because as I said earlier, the publishing world is all about networking and, and readers coming together with authors. And yeah. you know, I, I know, cause I, I feel the same when I meet an, a, a writer that I love reading, I want to meet them. I want yeah. to, they're a bit of a rock star to me. So I don't, I'm not like, I'm not a massive fan of, I love music, but I don't like go to lots of concerts, but I like going to book events cause I love to hear authors talk about why they, why they wrote the book or, what inspired them and certainly if it's a book that I absolutely love I want I want to talk to them about it I want, like, I want <laughs> that's why I, I did this, this podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um yeah it's really you know you read a book now and again you just think gosh that that really has changed me uh, and back to Pyragon by Colin McCann I think that book is so remarkable last year and when I met him I was all fanboying and it was just really <laughs> uncomfortable for him probably because it was just, but I, you know, it really, just really touched me. I, so. I don't think it was uncomfortable. You probably made his day. <laughs> well, he probably thought I was a weirdo. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I, you know, when I first started the company, um, I was walking down Piccadilly and I saw this lady who looked like an author and I went up to her and I went, are you Candice Robb? And she went, I am. How do you know? <laughs> because I am probably your biggest fan. Um, I love your book so much. And she's like, no one even, no, no one's ever come to me. No one even recognizes me. But I'm like, I'm, yeah, I'm a bit weird. I, you know, I love your book so much. I've Googled you and well, I didn't Google. You didn't Google in those days, but I'd kind of done some research on this author. And I've always been the same. Like if I love a book, I want to talk to that, that writer. And then actually Candice and I follow each other on Twitter. And every time she releases a book, I'm, I, I'm, I buy it like I, I love her books so I think there are certain authors that you don't even have to know what it is that their next book is about and you just know you're going to buy it ahead uh, of time absolutely. Yeah. yeah 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 um Robert Goddard is one of those authors like everything that he's written I, I am I haven't loved everything he's written but I've really enjoyed reading him he, he's one of the authors that I would um recommend to anyone who likes a good um crime thriller uh I, I just really enjoy reading him and he when i was trained to be a priest a priest had recommended robert goddard to me and i read um take no farewell and from that that i think that was his fifth book and i i, I had to go back and buy all of the backlist but i had to buy first editions and his first edition of his first book even now is around about a thousand pounds. It's called Past Caring. It was such a small print run. I think there was only 500 printed. 
Um, I have one now, but I didn't have one for a very long time because it was okay. hard to save up to buy one. But um, that's another thing, you know, as a book reader, book collector, I'm a completist. I have to have every book by the authors that I love. So Michael Connolly's written like 110 million books. So I bought all of his. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love him uh, and I love Robert Goddard and, I, and there's lots of authors that I love. Um, Ken Follett. Um, there's so many uh, that I have to have every book that they write. Well, I, I mean, I could sit here and chat to you for ages and there's a whole other conversation about trying to be a priest that I'd love to have, but um, it's, pro <laughs> it's probably not um, an extension to this episode. Quite but. boring. Quite boring. <laughs> um, I just want to thank you for sharing everything that you have with us um, because listening to you talk about books is really inspiring. As a writer, you, you've always, you want your book to get out into the world and to get into the hands of readers and to know that there are people who not only are representing them as agents but also representing them as booksellers with the kind of passion that you've described to me today is just um I don't know it makes me feel really it makes me feel part of something that's really magical um so just uh thank you for such a, a fabulous conversation I've loved it oh, thank you so much for inviting me I, as I said at the beginning I, I'll talk about books forever because I love them so much that's brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's really lovely to talk to you. Thank, Thank you. you, David. Bye bye.